The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes or so. A frank, open, honest conversation about gambling addiction. You know, but before I bring our guest in today... I wanted to acknowledge last week's show and the brave woman from California who joined us because I got a lot of feedback regarding uh, the interview I did with her. And one of the big takeaways from it was the seriousness of mental health and how mental health plays such a huge role in addiction and ultimately in addiction recovery. And my hope is that when you heard her and you hear Jay coming up here in a few minutes and other addicts that come on this show, not that you pity them or me, but that you recognize that these are human beings who fell prey to an addiction that they either A, didn't know they had, or B, felt prey to just based on how their brain waves are made up and you know the DNA that courses through all of our bodies. And it's important, I think, that the message gets put out there that none of us are looking for your sympathy or your pity. We're just hoping that you'll view us as flawed human beings, nothing more, nothing less, which we all are. And sadly, for many of us, all of us, as addicts, that flaw is addiction. We are built in a way that doesn't allow us to do certain things responsibly or even recreationally. And there's no joy in being an addict. And for a lot of you who are not addicts and have never been exposed to addiction through a friend or a family member, I get it. I totally understand why it's so easy for you to belittle people like me, to make fun of people like me, to put people like me down, to take shots at people like me because you've never experienced it. I understand that because until I went down the road of gambling in excess to the point where I became and am a compulsive gambler, I probably did the same exact thing. But it's one of those sicknesses, it's one of those diseases that once it hits you, it hits you like a ton of bricks. There's no such thing as uh, an easy addiction. There's no such thing as a part-time addiction. Once you fall prey to it, it's everything. And one of the things that I know is hard for a lot of you to understand when you hear me talk about, in my case, gambling addiction, is how powerful the pull is. And it's hard to describe that tangibly. The only way I can really pay proper service to the addiction is to tell you right now to stop breathing. Like, you can't. You can't stop breathing. The will is to live. And the addiction for many of us, myself included, is oxygen that we breathe. We can't live without it, even though we know it's bad for us. You know, my story is well documented. So it is what it is. But the sad thing, and the reason I do this show, is because there are thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people now, 
whose stories are never going to be told until it's too late. And my hope is that by hearing me share my story and by talking to other addicts that come on this show and are courageous enough and brave enough to share their personal stories, that it'll allow you to recognize certain character defects in addicts in your life so that you can help do something about it for them and with them before it gets too late. And when I say gets too late, I'm talking about suicide, incarceration, and everything in between. Because when you get to that level, a lot of times it is too late. And I do hope that you use this show as a platform, if nothing else, to merely have a conversation with somebody in your life that you think you can trust if you are the person that is exhibiting addictive behaviors or that somebody you care about and love that you are concerned are exhibiting certain behaviors that would lead you to believe they have a problem. All of this starts with a conversation. All of this starts with honesty and openness. And I think you'll be long-term pleasantly surprised what happens when you're willing to have that conversation. Because nothing bad ever comes from the conversation. Only good things come from opening up and asking questions and ultimately providing answers. And I just hope that, you know, if last week's show resonated with so many of you, as it appears that it did, that there are thousands of people like her that we'll never meet, that we don't have time to get to on this half-hour show. And I just hope that you're sensitive when you do come across those people in your life. Now, Dan Trelaro of Epic Risk Management, who normally sits with me on this show, is in the middle of a cross-country tour talking to college athletes about gambling addiction. So he will not join us today. But we're thrilled to have another gambler in recovery, Jay, joining us. Jay, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, now Jay reached out uh, as someone who wanted to share his story. And like a lot of gamblers, it's not just gambling for you. I know it also uh, involves your drug use and abuse. So we'll go down that road as well. But from a gambling standpoint, let's start there. Um, how long has it been since you last gambled? Um, 21 months, November 2020. Great. And I imagine, I know this is going to be uh, rhetorical, but life is a lot better without it, yeah? Oh, 100%. 100%. So when did you start gambling? When were you first exposed to it, and when did it kind of become part of your daily life? Um, I think when it became legal, I live in Pennsylvania, so whenever that was, 2019 maybe, 2018, I think it was August of 2018, it started with like college football. Interesting. So really, so not that long ago, and specifically because it became legalized and became easier for you to do, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. So were you were you ever a casino guy? Because I know there's Parks Casino and... And Sugar House, there's, there's places you could have gone prior to the mobile gaming. Um, uh, not really. I mean, when I would go down to Ocean City for the summer, um, you know, I might make a trip to Atlantic City, but the, the sports part was the biggest problem for me when it, you know, it was just so easy to do it. On sure. And how quickly did you go from, hey, this is fun, I have a feeling on a Phillies game or on a whatever game, to all of a sudden uh, this is becoming a problem? 
Um, I have a very addictive personality, so you know it it, it happened pretty fast. Um, the gambling part, I, I thought I could manage. It was you know, like you mentioned, the drug abuse. That was the, the part that was really bad. But you combine the two, and it's not a good recipe. Did one um, did one lead to the other? And I'm not saying that you know you started doing drugs and then you started gambling and drinking. But what I guess my more you know specific question is. Did you gamble more when you were under the influence of drugs or did one kind of set the other one off? No, I, I mean, I wouldn't go that far. Um, I, when I was under the influence of drugs, I was so lazy that, like, I could, you know, couldn't do much. And, like, gambling was just such a far a far off thought. Um, so they were both kind of interchangeable. Um, I wouldn't say one led to the other, but... Um, they're both addictions, and if you're an addict, it's not a good recipe. For sure. Did, did gambling make you feel the same way drugs made you feel? Did it fill that void if you didn't have access to drugs? Um, so the way I would describe it, the, um, like the drugs were always paramount for me. Um, and, like, gambling was like, I thought I could manage it. Like, I, it wasn't like, you know, I was losing a ton of money. Um, but it became a thought of, like, wow, I don't have money to get drugs. Well, how am I going to have money to gamble? Stuff like that. Did you try to gamble to earn money so you had money for drugs? Um, maybe once or twice. I started off with the sports gambling, which was like, you know, I put $100 and it was, I'm going to bet $5 on anything, and then you have a good week, and it turns into a lot more. Um, yeah, no, for sure. It was definitely once or twice, maybe three times, something like yeah, let me put together this 17 parlay and see if I get lucky, and then I'm going to blow all that money on drugs for sure. Got it. So, yeah, so you were chasing something. Uh, you may not have known it in the moment, but you were chasing for sure. 100%. And how about the people in your life, girlfriend, wife, mom and dad, brother, sister? Was there a point when anyone came to you? And I imagine, you know, for the drugs as well, because you probably exhibited more you know, strange behavior when you're under the influence than you did maybe when you were gambling. But did anybody ever come to you and say, hey, Jay, what's going on? Um, you know, that's one um, one uh, area where I'll give my family a lot of credit, my parents especially. So, like, my, my drug, drug addiction was a good five or six years, and not once did they come to me and say, you need to get help. Um, it was, you know, November 2020 was the moment where the light bulb went off, and I know I shared this with you many times. Like, I watched your documentary, and, like, literally 10 minutes later called the treatment center that I went to for 34 days, and, like, that's when the light bulb went off. But in terms of my family, they, I'm blessed to have such supportive, um, such a supportive family that, you know, this stuff doesn't, the help doesn't work if you're not ready to receive the help. And, and that's a key point of this. Yes, you have yeah. to you you can't pay lip service to it. It's it's almost like a job. It's a lifestyle change and if you're not ready for it, I don't care what rehab center you go to, I don't care how many GA meetings you attend, if you're not ready inside your body and soul, you're not going to get help. Absolutely. That's how it works and um it's just, a, like you said, a major commitment to change the way you live your life, especially when your brain is trained to, to live one way for the longest time. It's, it's a lot of work on a daily basis. Yeah, you know what I found in that? It's, that was a big part of it. The other part of it, which is all ego looking back on it now, I didn't want anybody to tell me I couldn't do something I wanted to do. Absolutely. 
It's a huge part of it. Um, like I never thought I had an ego until I went to treatment and learned about how the ego plays a role in all this. And it wasn't until I, you know, let go of the steering wheel of my own life that I started to see change. Yeah. And that's a key part of this that, you know, it's all good. Like I went to rehab, I gambled after rehab because I didn't want somebody to tell me as an adult that I wasn't allowed to do something. I couldn't walk into a certain place. You know, and I learned the hard way. I lost more money, obviously, to the point where I was, you know, searching my couch cushion for change so I could buy gas and something to eat in the morning. You know, that's Absolutely. real. That's tangible. And, you know, when you get to those depths, you know, if you if you don't want to make a change at that point, you know, that's not going to end well. And for a lot of people, sadly, it doesn't. Was there a, other than watching the documentary about my life on HBO, was there, did anything happen in your life that made you say, hey, buddy, you know, hey, a-hole, hey, you got a problem, it's time to go get help? Or, or was it truly just watching my life story? So deep down, I mean, I obviously knew I had a problem. And like in 2020, I had at the beginning of the pandemic about, you know, six months of sober time. And um, I went to a small school in central Pennsylvania that's near State College, which is where my addiction history started. Um, I felt really good. I took a job in state college, moved out there, decided I was going to live where I went to college because the rent was cheaper. You know, in my mind, that was a great idea. Right. And I lasted about two months before uh, it, it only took one time before I was right back to where I was. And, you know, like when I watch your documentary, I was home like I was on leave from work. I, I didn't show up one day. Um, and, you know, I had the police come into my apartment. Thank, I mean, I wasn't there. I wish I was just to do a wellness check and you know, deep down, it was it was like, yeah, you you have a you, there's something you need to you know change. But in my mind at that time, it was like, uh, why do I have to change? I'm fine. Like I'm I'm cool with what I'm doing, which is the sad part when you're addicted to something. Yeah, that's what's paramount. Um, and I think when I watched your documentary, that was like, you know, I work at a rehab now. I talk to the patients all the time. Like I needed some some shred of hope. That, you know, at the right time, at the lowest part of my life, that, like, it is possible to rebuild your life and start over. And um, so I think your documentary was just the nail in the coffin for me. But um, deep down, I obviously knew I had a problem. Talking to Jay, we'll continue on in just a moment. This is Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig, talking to Jay. Dan Trelaro is uh, not with us this week. He's uh, in between uh, college uh, visits right now. But Jay was talking about his experience, both using drugs and uh, gambling irresponsibly. And, you know, I wonder, you said something there when you didn't show up for work one day and the police came to do a wellness check, meaning somebody was worried about you and somebody thought you might harm yourself. And I wonder if you ever had those thoughts or went down that road. Um, I, uh, probably not that far. I mean, there's a depression aspect to it. Um, that's real. Um, that's why I was using drugs the way I did. Um, besides, you know, the, the, the tremendous feeling at the time of being high, but, um, you know, I didn't, um, I never wanted to harm myself, but there was a time where like, I didn't have a plan. It wasn't an active plan, but it was just like, it would, the thought was, it would be a lot easier to not have to work for this, you know, to, sure. to make, to, to make the changes I needed to change, to make. And, so. and you mentioned that, you know, and I know just from talking to you offline that you now spend a good portion of your everyday counseling other, you know, gamblers and addicts. And I wonder 
if that is therapeutic for you and that's why you did it or how you decided to make that your life's calling, at least for now? So when I was in treatment, I had, um, I was really blessed to have a certain few staff members that just made an impact on my life um, at, at the lowest point of my life. And I made it a goal that that's, you know, something I would like to explore someday. Um, so I work at the same treatment center I went to right now. Um, I have a job, it's called a recovery support specialist. And, you know, I have FaceTime with patients for eight hours a day, get to run groups and stuff like that. It's therapeutic in a sense, but it also keeps me in the moment um, of how real this, this whole beast is, whether it's gambling, alcohol, uh, drugs. Um, it's just, it's super real. And, um, I, you know, I wish more people realize that it's not as easy as just stopping. Right. You know? So it is therapeutic in a sense, but it's all it's therapeutic because I love going to work every day. And um, no, it's good. It's, and, and you listen, you're paying it forward. Right. This place helps save your life for sure. And now you're doing the same. And I imagine, you know, every time that new guy or gal walks in, you know exactly how they feel because we've all felt it. And it's not a good feeling that day one when you walk into the room and you're looking around and. You see your various you know, addicts at different stages of recovery, but you're a day one. Uh, I would think that that's probably the most powerful for you when you meet the new guys. Absolutely. It goes a long way. There's a lot of us, a good chunk of us that work here that are in recovery, and it's just so much easier to relate to what someone's going through and to kind of help them through it in a sense. Well, on the gambling front, for young guys that you might meet and counsel, What's is there a commonality amongst them from a standpoint of, hey, it's just so easy, it's on my phone. Hey, I never had a problem until the legalization, and now I can sit there all night on my phone. Is that the biggest thing, or is it something else that I might be missing? I think you know the easy access plays such a huge part in it. Um, but the common denominator for me is just that enough is never enough. Like you hear people talk about their stories, whether it's gambling, drugs, alcohol, and you know the common denominator for all of us is that we're never satisfied. Um, enough is never enough, and the bottom line is whether if it's on your phone or another way, you're gonna find a way to do it. Like for me, right. it was with how am I gonna get high? Like I planned my whole life around it. It right. was mentally draining, and but you find a way to do it. That's the sad part. So you know, even before it was you know, it's easy to go on your phone. Um, you find a way to do it if you're addicted to some, something and you go to all ends of the earth to make that happen. Yeah, well, what a lot of people don't understand, I say it on this show virtually every week, is that once you get to a good place where you're not worried about, you know, for you it was drugs, I'm gambling, for me it was really just gambling. Once you get to the place where you're kind of healthy and you don't gamble, you're not worried about where you're getting money from or where you're going to gamble tonight or tomorrow, or, you know, those types of thoughts, you, you start to realize, at least I did, how much mental energy and emotion you spent on the addiction to the point where, like, I need hobbies. I need stuff to do because I'm not gambling, and the free brain space I have now is overwhelming some days. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think about it every day, like, my entire life. Like, I'd wake up, it was, when am I going to get high, all right? How am I going to, you know, pay for this? How, like, the whole week was planned around that. And it, it was just 
so much energy expended that I look back on now, and like you said, you have so much free space in your brain. It's so true. Yeah, and um, it's crazy. Like I, This is going to sound really silly, but I went out and built a chicken coop and bought chickens um, because like, I like to build stuff anyway because I literally I need something to do. The downtime is where I'm most uncomfortable, and it's taken me, I mean, it's four years plus now. I'm just starting to get somewhat comfortable you know, sitting on a couch with nothing to do, uh, not checking my phone 50 times, not worried about a bank account or a check or cash or, you know, if I'm going to go sneak out and gamble tomorrow morning. And that's four years now, and I'm still not 100% comfortable with nothing to do. Of course. I'm the same way. It's like that whole living in the moment aspect of it is, I think, hard for a lot of people to grasp, but especially with us, with addicts, it's just... I have to find myself still working on every single day. How long did it take you to get comfortable doing like what you're doing with me today? Sharing your story, being open and honest about, you know, the lowest moments, the most embarrassing moments of your life. Um, so uh, probably a year, I think would be a good, like when I started working here, um, it became an essential part of my job function. Like I don't go into details with patients unless it's one-on-one about, you know, specifics, but um, it took me a good while to realize that like, you know, I, after sitting in a hundred AA meetings, working through the steps of AA, um, it's took me a while to realize, you know, I'm not alone. There are a lot of people and, you know, talking about it is only going to do something good as opposed to something bad. And before we let you go here, I, I wonder when the new guy does walk in and for those new guys that are listening now or their family members who aren't sure how to take that first step and are nervous and scared and all the feelings that we've all had. What do you say to them as counsel at day one? Because one of the things I hope to get out of this show is to when people like you share your story, when I share mine, you know, Dan, everybody else that's been on this show, I'm trying to humanize the addiction, but I'm also trying to make it easier for people to take that first step to getting help. And I wonder what the message is that you uh, send out to people who are Either at that stage, they've come in the door, the front door, or they're contemplating it. What do you tell them? Um, I tell them it's pretty simple. It's okay to not be okay. And that so many people have dealt with what they're going through. And, you know, if you're willing to make a commitment um, to make a change in your life, you know, it's a pretty simple program to work. We just make it difficult. But the best advice someone told me when I walked in the door at Recovery Centers of America was, you know, it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. And it's just, it's powerful when you think of of that. And I've got to ask you this question. You're, like, I'm proud of you because of what you're doing and how you've taken ownership of what you did and now you're paying it forward. And every day of your life now you're helping other people. I would think at some point in the last 21 months, your parents, your family have had to express to you how proud they are of you. Of course. Of course. Um, like I said, my, my parents, my grandparents, especially my brother's awesome. Um, my, my family is like, I'm the, I'm the black sheep in the family as far as I know. Um, and they really had no knowledge of any addiction, alcoholism, gambling, stuff like that. And you know how much they've supported me. It's, it's a blessing times 10 because it doesn't always work that way. No. It's just the truth. So, um, 
Yeah, they have many times, and uh, it's, it means a lot because it, it is a lot, of, a lot of hard work, but it's the most rewarding. Well, listen, you keep doing what you're doing. I'm glad you reached out, and uh, I'm here any day you need it. If you ever need anybody to talk to on your end, just know that there's always people out there that are happy to talk to you as well. And uh, keep it up, kiddo, and I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, be good, Jay. Thanks. Appreciate Jay coming on uh, the show today, and I, I mean it. It's it's why I do this show and why it was a big part of my coming back to WFAM. If my story in any way, shape, or form is the story you need to look at to recognize that you can recover, you can overcome, you can defeat addiction, you know, then I'll be your huckleberry. And when I hear people like Jay who saw my documentary and use that for, you know, as the impetus to get help. You know, that's what gets me through every day. And the reality is that it is every minute of every day. There's no such thing as an easy day because the addiction is always there. And for those of you that are fighting it, keep up the fight. For those of you that are part of the therapy world, thank you for the service you're doing. And for those of you that don't know where you're going, just know that there are people out there who are willing and ready to help, to listen, and to get you on a good path. And hopefully this show gets you at least contemplating going in that direction. Mark Malusis is up next. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And thank you for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig.